Welcome back to the Your Houston Podcast. This is our first episode of 2021, and we're happy to be back after a brief winter break. And for everyone out in Iowa, don't worry. Uh, Nick is just uh, a little under the weather today, but he will be back in action next week. Uh, Today, we're excited to talk to former Harris County clerk, Chris Hollins, who oversaw a historic election here in Harris County in 2020. For those who uh, aren't familiar with Chris, he grew up here in the Houston area, uh, went off to Morehouse College, and then did a joint degree program with Yale Law School and Harvard Business School, Uh, spent some time at McKinsey & Company, and then uh, went to the Obama administration uh, for the first year at the Office of Personnel Management. Uh, so we are we are very thrilled to to have him and hear all about his time uh, serving as the Harris County Clerk in 2020. Here we go. So today we are very excited to be speaking with Chris Hollins, former Harris County Clerk, uh, who oversaw a historic 2020 election, and we're excited to be speaking with him about that experience. Uh, But before we get to that, we're going to do our liftoff lightning round. I feel the liftoff. The clock has started. Roger. Chris, you get to go to one restaurant tonight for dinner on us. Where are you going and what are you ordering? Oh, man. Uh, If you put me on the spot, I'm just going to say Papacito's and I'm going to order some fajitas. Uh, if you give me some more time, I'm sure I could come up with uh, maybe a more trendy spot, but I grew up on Papacito's. That was always my favorite place. That's a solid choice. You can't go wrong, especially with the fajitas there. Um, what's your favorite small town in Texas? Growing up, we used to go to a town called Weimar, Texas. It's about halfway to San Antonio. And we particularly go there on like July 4th and New Year's mm-hmm. and do fireworks. But then there's also, you know, hunting. And then just as a kid, just like random exploring out in the woods. So I have a lot of uh, fun memories in Weimar. And I imagine a lot of folks haven't heard about Weimar. So this could, this could help put them on the map there. They also have their, a great sausage. The butcher there, incredible. Um, what's the last book that you read? So um, I'm in the middle of a book about Jim Baker right now, uh, you know, who was sort of, you know, a Republican kind of uh, puppet master of, of our government for, for decades. Uh, before that, the last book that I read was um, by a Palestinian doctor. I think it's called I Shall Not Hate, um, but it just details his personal experiences um, you know, in the, the Israeli, you know, Palestinian, uh, you know, situation there, um, really, really powerful book. If you could have drinks with anybody past or present, who would it be? Hmm. I would love to sit down, um, with maybe Harry Belafonte and, you know, hear, you know, here's some of the stories about, you know, the civil rights area, but also, you know, his, his entertainment work. I think he's lived a really interesting life and I could, 
both be again entertained, but also learn a lot about about history. Right. No, that'd be that'd be a fantastic choice. Um, if you could go anywhere, we had a private jet ready to take you and your family uh, anywhere right now. Where would you go? I think probably just someplace in the Caribbean to a beach. I mean, we haven't gotten to travel <laughs> so much uh, lately, as I'm, I'm sure that's a shared experience. Uh, but especially now that it's cold as we're recording, being able to have some sunshine, a beach, uh, you know, maybe a nice drink in my hand would be would be pretty incredible. And I choose the Caribbean in particular because I assumed in your question that I would actually have to sit on the flight there. So I'd want to get there pretty quick. There you go. Yeah, you would. And I think a lot of us would would choose a nice, relaxing beach pretty close by. That's that's not Galveston. Um, <laughs> Shipley's Galveston is underrated, man. It is. I have to say, I've been spending a lot of time there lately, and it is underrated. Um, Shipley's or Voodoo Donut? Shipley's. Of course, Shipley's. Yep. And then last one, who's your favorite athlete? LeBron James, for sure, uh, right now. Uh, we graduated high school the same year, and so I was always just kind of following him and sort of like you know living through him. Uh, but seeing the level of greatness that he's been able to attain while also um, being active and, and vocal, um, you know, in in the political sphere uh, around civil rights and you know around really important issues in the community, um, I've I've been really impressed by him and look up to him. It's definitely inspiring what he what he's doing and the way he's giving back and investing in communities. Um, I think he's a great pick. Um, so moving on, let's talk about the 2020 election and let's talk about you and your role as county clerk. Um, first, you know, what what made you step up to to offer yourself to serve and and to take on such a, a responsibility? It was, uh, you know, honestly speaking, you know, where we were at the time was, it was, you know, the middle of May, we had an election coming up, and I'm not speaking about November, I'm speaking about the primary runoff um, that was only about a month out from, from starting. And, you know, I had been a supporter of my predecessors, Diane Troutman, um, specifically because I knew how important the role of county clerk was uh, in administering elections. Um, you know, one of the things that she had already done was to move us to the concept of voting centers, which meant that on election day, you could vote at any uh, center in the county versus just your precinct, which is just a, it, it was bizarre that we didn't have that before. But, um, but again, you change leadership, uh, particularly in this case, changing parties, and you get leadership that's going to be more geared towards wanting people to vote and to vote easily and to have access. And so she had made that change, but there was still so much more that, that could be done. And oh, by the way, we were headed into our first election during a time of COVID-19. And um, in the office, while I remain a big fan of Diane's, 
had been challenged. There had been like long lines in the March election that had made national news. Uh, in the mayoral election before that, there had been some issues around uh, slow reporting times. And so it was clear that there was some operational improvement that that could potentially be made. And I just thought that like with my understanding of the importance of the office, uh, with my understanding of of operations, not particularly elections operations, but just knowing how to run a large organization um, and 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 you know equip you know the the folks in that organization to achieve its mission. Um, I thought that you know I could bring that skill set to this thing that I cared about so much, and and be able to to you know change the way that elections were done in Harris County, and so. Uh, it helped that nobody else wanted to do it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, I think that made me more of a prime candidate, but, uh, but I stepped up because again, because it mattered so much and I thought that I could do a pretty good job. Well, we've seen, uh, a number of, of individuals now take on leadership roles at the County that are younger and part of the, uh, millennial generation, the County judge, uh, the treasurer, now the city attorney or the county attorney uh, yourself when you were in that role. So what do you say to other other people out there that have that same passion and drive to make a difference, uh, but maybe they haven't followed or don't have the uh, establishment view of experience coming from numbers of years of elected experience uh, or working for uh, elected officials uh, who want to take that leap? Yeah. Um, you know, one age, you know, is not a thing that, that matters in my mind. Um, you know, when Lena ran, uh, I mean, she was laughed off by, by many and she has just been phenomenal ever since she set foot in the County judge's office and she's brought a vision. Um, she has brought a level of of thought and strategy um, that we hadn't seen in county government here in Harris County before. Um, you know, I thought I brought a new lens to to the county clerk's office, and I know for sure that that Christian Menifee is going to blow us away uh, over the next four years as he serves as county attorney, and he's going to bring uh, you know justice to Harris County in a new way. But what I'll also say is that while age is not important. I think experience truly is important. Um, you know, I think that all of, you know, the, the passion I have for, for democratic ideals like voting um, would not have mattered so much um, if I didn't bring along the skills uh, that, you know, I developed through a career as a management consultant and as an attorney. Uh, same thing with with Christian, uh, you know, spent you know many years uh, practicing you know big law and learning uh, the ins and outs and sharpening uh, you know his mind and his, and his set of skills uh, to be able to to do the work that's now in front of him. And so we can't just ignore the need for experience, but that doesn't necessarily have to be. Oh, I was in this office or I worked for. Uh, this politico or what have you, 
um, ultimately what's going to move the needle when it comes to administration uh, is, frankly, a set of skills that I don't see government doing too well. And so private sector experience, um, I think, can lend itself to, to being effective in these types of offices. Um, but also you need, to, you need to know how to do things and sort of you know, have a healthy level of respect for how government operates because we've also seen folks who come in from the private sector with with no government experience uh and do a terrible job because they don't know how to make the wheels of government work yep it's definitely a balance um, and i think we're seeing at the county what ha- what positive changes can be brought in with that fresh perspective that drive and that ambition um so when we talk about, you mentioned earlier running an election during a pandemic, you know, you are appointed interim county clerk, there's a runoff election, and right after that, you're gearing up for the presidential election. When you talk about 2.5 million registered voters, 11,000 poll workers, um, trying to keep the voters and the staff safe, to me, that just, that sounds like such a monumental challenge what you know what were some of the things that you immediately did that that worked to address that and and how would you rate the success of of that effort uh, at the end of the day first thing you know going into july was we we need to have ppe period um you know on my first day in office we we did not have any and that needed to be figured out figured out quite quickly um and while today, if we said, oh, we need a million masks tomorrow, I mean, we could figure that out because now making masks is like a business, <laughs> right? But just, just at that time, just a few months ago, being able to procure large amounts of hand sanitizer and masks and other items uh, was extremely difficult because everybody across the country, across the world, was trying to get their hands on them and there wasn't the same supply to meet that demand. And so that needed to be figured out really, really quickly. And, and there was you know, a bit of a scramble to, to get that done. Uh, and luckily we could use uh, the county judges emergency powers to, to help us along in that process. Um, but beyond PPE, I mean, you need to have, um, you know, practices and protocols uh, in place. You know, your operations had to lead to, to safe outcomes. And to do that, you know, we just tried to learn uh, from others who had already done it. Um, you know, one of the first efforts that I made was to reach out to elections administrators across the country who had already administered elections during the time of COVID-19. Um, and, you know, just going back and reminding you, you know, we had our primary on March 3rd. And then everything shut down. I want to say on like the 6th or the 7th. It was just like right after that. And had our election been a few days later, who knows, you know, what would have happened. Right. But um, so, you know, we reached out to, you know, Miami-Dade County. We reached out to Maricopa County, which, which you know, got really famous in November. Uh, we reached out to numerous jurisdictions in Wisconsin. Uh, to just ask them how did you know what happened when you when you held your election, and you know tell us what went well, tell us what what you would have us do if you kind of would do it again, but also tell us what didn't go well, so we can try to avoid some of those pitfalls. 
And, um, and so many of our safety precautions can, you know, came from, from those conversations, uh, as well as conversations with folks in the private sector. Um, you know, I'm, I've, I've been meaning to write a tweet about this for a while and never have, but the amount of hand sanitizer that we procured for the July election, it came from a conversation between myself and an assistant manager at the HEB over on McGregor. Wow. Because we literally asked them, like, please, you know, tell me how many, you know, customers you have that come in on a daily basis. Okay, how much hand sanitizer are you going through? How often do you think people, when they walk by that thing, actually use it? And I'm literally just like taking notes and like doing math to say, all right, this is how much HEB is using, and we want to use conservative efforts, uh, conservative estimates. So we want to have probably, you know, 25% more than that. Um, this is how many voters we expect to show up in July. This is how many voting centers we're going to have. And like using that mathematically to come up with, okay, we need this many gallons of hand sanitizer. Um, those are the types of like decisions that we had to make, which again, as liberal, as conservative as I could be as a person that has zero to do with like how much hand sanitizer we need to keep these people safe. Right. Um, and just even having like the, the insight to think about it that way is not particularly common, um, in government or amongst like elected officials. And so I'm glad that we had that, like that kind of vision on our team and the level of sort of expertise from a number of different parts of the private and public sector to help us do that thinking and make those decisions. You know, I'll say um, I did serve as a poll worker on election day at Silky's uh, polling station, a mutual friend of ours. And I was, it was impressive the amount of, um, precautions and the the level of um, seriousness everything was taken with and we had two masks on the whole day and and now you're hearing that double masking is is highly effective at preventing uh, COVID-19 from spreading and it's it's something you're seeing a lot more of well, that was being done here back in November and the plexiglass the sanitizer it I think everyone that I worked with felt safe being a poll worker and, and the voters that came through felt safe voting. Yeah, no. And, and, and that's what they expressed to us as well. Um, and, and that's where drive through voting, you know, came from, you know, just trying to think through, you know, how do we make this safer and more convenient? Um, and then of course this became controversial across the country as well. Um, but that's where the push for voting by mail came from. And that started even before I came, but before I became the county clerk, um, you know, our commissioner's court had the insight to say, look, we have this pandemic. We want as many of our seniors and folks with disabilities to be able to vote from the comfort and safety of their home as possible. So how do we maximize that? And so, you know, part of our effort to keep people safe was to allow as many people um, as were eligible and who were interested uh, to be able to vote from home. You mentioned drive-through voting, and, and this is something that became controversial. The attorney general uh, sued to get those votes tossed out and, and sued on the effort to mail every voter a, 
a vote by mail application, you know, you received a lot of pushback from the state. Is is this our new normal in elections where the state and the county are butting heads throughout the process and, and we're just going to have to fight back uh, every time? I mean, I think it goes beyond uh, just elections, um, but it will certainly rear its head again in elections. Uh, you know, right now, you know, Republican, I won't even say leaders, Republican officials uh, at the state level um, are using the gears and levels of power that they have uh, to do whatever they can to challenge uh, progressive ideas, ideals, um, and leaders across this state. And so, you know, Judge Hidalgo is going to continue to be a target for Greg Abbott and for Ken Paxton um, for the foreseeable future. And, um, you know, while, you know, Isabel Longoria, our new elections administrator, is in a purely nonpartisan role, um, and frankly, I thought that, you know, my administration executed our roles in a nonpartisan manner as well, uh, those attacks are going to come. And the reason that they're going to come is because when, you know, Ken Paxton is trying to throw out thousands and thousands of Harris County votes, even though he knows that many of those votes are Republicans, he doesn't care because, you know, democracy doesn't matter to him. Power matters to him. So as long as when he throws out those Republican votes, he's able to throw out more Democratic votes in the process, that's a win for him. Um, and folks like Greg Abbott are going to back him up on that. Um, you know, our Secretary of State just totally refused to do her job as the chief elections officer uh, of the state of Texas during 2020. Uh, Greg Abbott in no way held her accountable. And, uh, and all that's intentional, uh, whether because Greg Abbott truly believes some of these things that he allows to happen under his watch, or he you know, gets enough pressure from the right to, uh, you know, to forsake his ideals. Um, and one of the ways you saw that was you know, when he decided to shut down the drop-off locations that we had set up for mail ballots. So he said, okay, you don't want this stuff to go through the mail. We're going to set it up, allow people to drop them off. Oh, no, now it's too easy to drop them off. Shut it down, right? And he literally reversed his own um, proclamation in order to do so because, you know, because Alan West and some other folks told him to. So folks who are listening, you know, if they're angry, if they're frustrated and they want to get involved, we as a as an organization, we're a nonprofit. We we like to channel uh, energy to activism at the local level. Um, what can people do? How can they get involved in voting uh, rights advocacy or voter protection efforts? If if this is something that they feel passionate about, yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. Um, you know, I think that the number one thing you can do right now to have impact is register folks to vote who are not currently registered. Um, you know, as you get toward election day of say 2022, but even, you know, we have some, some May 21 elections coming up, uh, in and around Harris County, you know, of course I'd say, get those folks to vote, 
but you know you have to have sort of your your entrance ticket to be able to cast a ballot to begin with and that's that's voter registration and um you know there are still millions of, of texans who are eligible voters who are not registered and so uh you know figuring out a way to to get involved in that effort is important uh and the first thing you need to do is become a a volunteer deputy voter registrar uh here in harris county um you know, you would go to the election administrator's website and figure out when the next training is and so forth to become a VDVR. Um, but then from there, you know, get involved with, you know, a nonprofit organization who's, uh, who's focused on this or, or a political party for that matter. Um, I know you all are a nonprofit. And I'm trying not to push, you know, one political party over the other. But if you reach out to either the Democratic Party or the you know, Republican Party of Harris County, Either one of them, I'm sure, would be able to put you to work, uh, you know, registering voters if that was your passion. And we'll put up links to the administrator's website with the VDVR uh, info so that if anyone's interested, they can can access that right right there. Um, it's it's clear that there's still some mistrust in the electoral process. We're seeing that play out nationally. Um, from your, you know, experience, is there anything that the county clerk can do to make folks more confident in our local elections if they have any doubts at all about the integrity? Yeah, I mean, well, we tried to be as as radically transparent as possible. Um, you know, we what well, you know, one thing that we started doing in I want to say this my second week in office, uh was you know if you were a voting rights uh, organization or a political party, you could join us on a weekly call uh, that was set up just for you to come and figure out what was going on and be with us every step of the way. And for those who wanted to get even more involved, you know we had our 24 uh, you know safe initiatives to make our elections more safe, more secure, more accessible, uh, and so forth. And you could join those teams and actually do some of that work with us and see what we were doing. Uh, and you'd have the confidence because you were part of the team that did it yourself. Um, and that, that was, again, to me, an unprecedented level of access that folks in our community had to their government uh, to see um, this sausage being made. But you know, I, sausage being made is not even a good example because what we were doing was so straightforward in nature. Like, there's not much to it. Uh, we make sure that, you know, the machines are set up properly. They go through, you know, a ton of testing that's done uh, by a bipartisan, you know, coalition that that is, uh, you know, promoted by the parties. They sign off on it. Then you allow people to vote. You know, that you know, those voting machines are not connected to the internet. They can't be hacked. You have to, you know, sign in and, you know, bring your photo ID in order to check in, um, have a special code that gives you access to the machine and then cast your ballot. And then for those who vote through the mail system, um, you know, we're checking your, your signature twice. Uh, again, a bipartisan group of folks who are doing that, um, they're calling you uh, and reaching out to you directly if there's any issue with your ballot or any reason to believe um, 
you know, that your intentions on that ballot, you know, may not be followed and clearing that up before that vote gets counted. And so, you know, the, and, you know, this was shown even, you know, folks from, you know, the Donald Trump Department of Justice said, like, this is the most secure election we've ever had in the history of this country. Uh, and any any belief otherwise um, is just, it's just straight up false. Um, and based on lies that are intentionally being spread um, to feed off of the cynicism and ultimately, you know, break down trust in democracy. I mean, this is a very intentional effort and uh, it's extremely disappointing. Um, you know, I'm glad that this country survived, you know, January 6th and that entire process um, and that we have leadership now in place that believes in democracy, but we certainly have a long way to go to strengthen our institutions. So I didn't, didn't realize that y'all invited groups and political parties to, to be that involved in the process. Did a lot of, of organizations take you up on that and join the efforts? Yeah, ultimately there were, you know, 40 plus uh, that were involved, um, just, you know, and this was local organizations, uh, as well as, you know, national voting rights organizations. Um, and, and, and these were groups, you know, like the urban league that represented diverse communities, groups like tent, uh, you know, who represented the, you know, LGBTQ plus community, um, and so many others that just want to see good government and, see democracy function the way um, that it should uh, in a country like America that claims to, to hold these ideals. And so, um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of involvement from folks and we, we learned a lot along the way and we were able to improve again, our processes, our policies, our trainings, um, you know, based on feedback that was provided to us by, by members of the community. We promote increased transparency in local government, and we have some positions out on that. And so to hear that is very encouraging because, I mean, I think you can do that across a number of departments and processes that are going on at the local level. And again, get more engagement, improve them, make them more efficient. Uh, there's just a ton of benefit to that. And also, you know, you clear up a lot of misconceptions or, or rumors that can be put out there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, as, as, as someone who's been involved in politics for a while, and I know you've seen this, you know, there are always going to be detractors. Um, and, you know, part of, you know, our efforts to involve as many people as possible, um, in addition to getting the best ideas, and, and coming up with solutions to potentially problems that we didn't even see. But it was also, frankly, to, to silence the detractors uh, because you know, no one could go out and say, why are they doing this, why are they doing that? It's like, no, you, you were at the meeting when we decided it. You know exactly why. You know which options we weighed um, and you know why we went down the path that we did. And of course, people can say whatever they're gonna say regardless, but we knew um, 100% that, that we were being upfront, um, that we were considering, uh, you know, folks positions on, you know, these various steps that we were taking and that we chose the best option that made sense, uh, for the people of Harris County. And so we're, we're very proud 
uh, of our efforts and um, and stand by them. Okay, so one one final question before we move on to our uh, Houston, we have a problem. What surprised you the most about your time as county clerk? You know, perhaps I was uh, naive in going in, but my thought going in was that this job was going to be relatively boring. Um, you know, again, when I was talking about why I was interested in the job, you know, I thought I'd come in and, you know, do some math and say, all right, you know, let's put the machine there instead of there. And that's going to help us with better traffic flow and people be able to vote 10% faster, you know, and, and that that would be it. Right. And, you know, people would have this good experience, probably wouldn't even realize how good the experience was, but their votes would get casted and then my job would be done. Um, the level of opposition that we faced so publicly, um, and the folks and, you know, and again, elected officials and whomever who were willing to so publicly be on the side of voting suppression, uh, it, it surprised me and perhaps it shouldn't have. Uh, but I, I did not see that coming. And, and then I ultimately didn't, you know, expect what we were doing to be so high profile. You know, I thought that I'd be begging the Chronicle to cover how cool this drive-through voting concept was, or you know, begging Channel Two and Thirteen and Eleven to talk about extended hours when we did twenty-four hour voting. Uh, it turned out that they did that much and more, um, and and that you know the the city was sort of a buzz in some of these issues, and I uh, I was not anticipating that. I mean, one of the um, I remember so many of my conversations with with voters. But one that stuck out with me down the stretch was uh, talking to a uniformed police officer who was wearing like the Blue Lives Matter logo face mask, uh, who I am nearly certain, but I, you know, you can't make assumptions, but I'm nearly certain that he did not vote the way that I voted. Um, but having a conversation with him about how he and his wife voted drive through and uh, how it was such just a smooth experience, and he hopes that that is here to stay in Harris County. Um, you know, that, I remember that, and that was a very heartening conversation because, again, things that make voting easier are not for Democrats, right? They're for all of the voters. And, um, and, and you know, I think we saw that. I mean, I, again, we don't know how person one versus person two voted, but I can tell you that tens of thousands of Republicans and tens of thousands of Democrats and tens of thousands of everybody in between voted using these drive-throughs. Um, and, and thousands of folks voted during our extended hours, which, you know, many of them would not have had the opportunity to participate in our democracy, um, you know, had those hours not been there for them to vote at a time that was convenient for them and their families. And so, you know, I know that that Isabel Longoria, who you know was a senior member of my staff and who is now our elections administrator, is going to continue and even expand upon many of those uh, you know those features and services that we offered. And so I'm I'm really proud of her and excited to see what she's going to do. Isabel is someone we're actually excited to have a conversation with on the podcast. Uh, I just 
heard about the new voting machines that the county allocated money for that have a paper backup. Um, and that's something that we haven't had here uh, before. And also just to learn more about what an election administrator does. This is a brand new office. It takes things from the county clerk, takes uh, components from the tax assessor collector. Uh, and so just to provide that information, we look forward to speaking with her about that. So before we wrap up, we're, we're going to ask you a question, and it's a hypothetical, but we just love to hear how folks uh, would approach it and, and would answer it. Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. And this one might not be so much of a problem as an opportunity, but uh, congratulations, you now own the Houston Rockets. Uh, what are you going to do to build a championship team? Yeah, I, um, I'm a huge Houston Rockets fan. Um, and, you know, certainly was disappointed with how this season started off and, and disappointed in, in James Harden, you know, in particular, uh, you know, I know that he wanted to move on to what he thought to be greener pastures. Uh, but I thought the way that he handled it was, um, you know, not, not exceptionally professional. But now we have a team of folks who who want to be here, uh, still need to, you know, gel and kind of figure out their system. Uh, but I like to see what we have. And so, you know, I think that there's, you know, we, we have a leader in John Wall. Um, we have some really strong players in, you know, in Depot and uh, and Cousins. I, and then, and then Christian Wood is a phenomenal young player. I'd like to see, you know, one more sort of young player, one guy who's maybe three or four years into the league, uh, who could, who could join the gang. Um, and, you know, I don't think we'll be competing for a championship this year, but in, you know, a couple of times, perhaps as that Lakers dynasty is, is fading out that we could be rising in into that conversation. Um, like I said, I think we have a real strong core. I'm excited about what coach Silas is bringing to the team. But um, like I said, I think one more, uh, you know, young guy to round out the squad would be, uh, you know, we would be pushing us towards where we need to be. So you're not going to go after LeBron. <laughs> I think that's a lost cause. <laughs> I, I think he's probably sitting, he's going to be with the Lakers until his son gets drafted by somebody <laughs> and then he's going to go play one more year there, maybe two, and then that'll be it. So, so I think the best way to get LeBron is to draft Bronny there you go. Uh, in a couple of years time. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We enjoyed the conversation and, and the insight into uh, your time as County clerk and the 2020 election. Um, we'll, we'll have you back on, uh, after the next, uh, adventure you have. <laughs> Sounds good. I appreciate you having me. It's been a blast. Thanks for checking out our podcast today. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Chris Hollins. We have every episode available on our website at yourhue.com. That's Y-O-U-R-H-O-U.com. Also be sure to like our Facebook page at Your Houston to get updates on information we post of things happening around the area. We're also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can find us uh, on LinkedIn too. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.